You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio, broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. The Creator, the one who created all that is in existence. Verily, your Lord is Allah, who created the heavens and the earth in six periods. Then he settled himself firmly on the throne. He governs everything. المسلم من سلم المسلمون من لسانه ويده. A true Muslim is he who protects other Muslims from his tongue and his hands. The contemporary age, an age of reform and revolution, a time where the geopolitical outline of the world has transformed drastically within a scale of a few years. From the formation of countries and states, to the continuous regime changes and revolts in the name of the establishment of democratic values, what are the principles upon which the basis of governance and socio-economics should be laid? Does Islam really have the answer to the economical unrest in the world? Read the economic system of Islam by Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmud Ahmed Razila the promised reformer and the second successor of the promised Messiah, alayhi salatu wasalam. of Islam Radio. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you, dear listeners. Welcome to this Monday's uh, edition, uh, Bank Holiday Monday edition of the Breakfast Show here from the Voice of Islam studio. And we're broadcasting live here uh, from the Beit al-Fatu Mosque, uh, which is the House of Victories here in modern South London. Uh, today is Monday the 29th of August and the time is fast approaching 6 minutes past 7. So dear listeners, uh, the usual format of the show is that we shall be discussing the weather and some of the news articles um, out there uh, in wider media. And then after that, from about half past 7 onwards, we shall just be discussing the first 
topic of the day. We have two topics to discuss this morning. And if you have any questions, comments or feedback, please do not hesitate to give us a ring or contact us. Uh, you can ring us on 0208-687-7878. You can also tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. So the two topics we shall be discussing this morning are as follows. Uh, the first topic is what holds back women from success? So we shall be delving to that topic and speaking to one uh, guest regarding that particular topic. And then the other topic we shall be discussing from about um, 8.15, quarter past 8, right up to the end of the show, up till 9am, is how to reduce the risk of cancer with diet. So we shall be taking a short break. Once we come back from the break, we shall be delving into all the news topics and uh, the weather. So please do not go anywhere and have a get yourselves a cup of tea or <clears throat> a cup of coffee if you like. Get yourself some breakfast ready and come and join us here at The Breakfast Show. We shall be taking a short break. Please come straight back. What is Ahmadiyyat 101? Ahmadiyyat 101 is a brand new series explaining the beliefs of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community in a simple, easy to understand format. These videos are for everyone, whether you are a fellow Ahmadi or just here to fulfill your curiosity. This is your platform to learn and find out more. This series is exclusive to MTA Online One, the official YouTube channel of MTA International. So subscribe and turn on your notifications so you don't miss a single video. Post your questions in the comment section and we will answer them in future videos. This is Ahmadiyyat 101, making Islam Ahmadiyyat simple. The originator the one from whom all creation originated. And he it is who originates the creation, then repeats it, and it is most easy for him. Following the prophethood of Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, is the easiest route through which one can reach God. Obedience to it wins the gift of divine love and communion greater and more than ever before. However, a perfect follower of it cannot be called a prophet per se, for that would be an affront to the perfect and absolute prophethood of Muhammad, peace be upon him. Yet, with regard to him, the two expressions Ummati and Nabi can be applied in conjunction, because by doing so, no disrespect is implied to the perfect and final prophethood of Muhammad, peace be upon him. Rather, because of this beneficence of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, the light of his prophethood becomes all the more clear and resplendent. The Promised Messiah, peace be on him, founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community in Islam, states, Sin, which indeed is a poison, is born when a man is wanting in obedience to God, and is empty of his love and his affectionate remembrance. The fate of a man whose heart has become cold to the love of God is like that of an uprooted tree, no longer capable of drawing the sap of life from the soil. As such, a tree gradually withers and dies. So like the dryness of the tree, 
sin overwhelms the heart. The remedy for this state of dryness, according to the law of nature, is of three types. Number one, love. Number two, istighfar, that is, seeking forgiveness of Allah. It literally means a desire to bury or to cover, reminding one that as long as the root of the tree is buried in the soil, it can hope to bring forth green foliage. Number three, the third remedy is toba, which means to turn towards God in all humility, drawing the sap of life and to bring oneself closer to Him, to break loose with the help of righteous deeds from the enveloping cover of sinfulness. Tawbah cannot be achieved merely by word of mouth. In fact, Tawbah can be perfected only with the help of righteous deeds. All acts of goodness are aimed at achieving perfection of Tawbah. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you, dear listeners. Welcome back to this Monday's edition uh, of The Breakfast Show. Today, Monday, the 29th of August. Uh, and we're broadcasting here live from the Beit al-Fatu Mosque here in South London. Uh, today's presenters are myself, Khalid Banu, and um, Imam Shazeb Atar. Brother, how are you this morning? Alhamdulillah, very good. How are you, Brother Khalid? Enjoying no, the sunlight? Yes, exactly. It would be nice to have a few few more uh, minutes in bed, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> but no, no honestly, it's, it's, it's always a pleasure to be presenting with yourself. And uh, it's always always also, you know, um, the highlight for me is to be speaking to you know various guests on mm. the topics, you know, at hand. Um, but as is custom, we usually start off by talking about the weather. And like you said, the sun is shining nice and bright mm. for us at the moment. Uh, let's see what it has to say in the according to the Met Office. So uh, today there'll be many parts which will remain dry with warm sunny spells, although there'll be some eastern, uh, eastern coast which will become cooler uh, a lo- lot more than recently. Any light rain uh, across northern England will be easing, although there will be a little bit drizzly uh, and uh, in some parts, and it may hang on across the northeast parts of the UK. Now, there will be some odd sharp showers, possibly across Scotland, Northern Ireland and Wales. Tonight, the outlook, there will be some isolated showers fading. Then, apart from some patchy drizzle in exposed northeastern UK, most areas will remain dry. There will be some clear spells loading uh, uh, leading to a cooler night and uh, in general it will remain a little bit breezy in the far south and southwest the outlook for tuesday there will be some early drizzle and low cloud in the northeast with possible isolated afternoon showers in the north however nearly everywhere else will remain dry with sunshine at times and be warm in the southwest and cooler in the northeast so that's quite nice uh, for bank holiday monday to the weather seems seems to be holding up, um, but speaking about the weather, you know this. Um, I'm sure everyone has seen these 
tragic, um, devastating floods in Pakistan. Mm. You know, it's, it's just you know, re- you know, upsetting the country. Really, yeah. you know, and unfortunately, um, a lot of people, a lot of people suffered. Yes, yeah. 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 it's really sad. And I think the thing is, you know, again and again, people say, you know, oh, climate change doesn't, fo- you know, doesn't mm. affect anyone. It does. Yeah, you know, does, every yeah. little thing that we do yeah. has an effect somewhere, you know, or other. Yeah, and according to um, you know Reuters, the Pakistani foreign minister says help is needed after these overwhelming floods. Now, um, the uh, foreign minister has said that Pakistan needs financial help to deal with the overwhelming floods. Its foreign minister said on Sunday, adding that he hoped financial institutions such as the International Monetary Fund mm-hmm. would take the economic fallout into account. Unusually heavy monsoon rains have caused devastating floods in both the, both the north uh, and, and the south of the country, affecting more than 30 million people and killing more than 1,000. It's so tragic, isn't yeah. it? These, these figures, you know. Imagine that, 30 million people. And the thing is, uh, you know, let's hope and pray that you know the international community stands up uh, with Pakistan and yeah. helps them, and you know that the aid that they're asking for mm. is very, you know, is, is quite um, easily forthcoming from the other countries around the world. One hundred percent, yeah. And those one thousand deaths, you know, there must be more. There's just, you know, um, which is very unfortunate. But those are the ones that have been recorded and. And some of those houses mm. that they've built, because all of the, the, the areas where you know the floods have hit are somewhat, you know, are very extremely underdeveloped. Yes, uh, and those houses are made of clay, mm. and they're being wept aside. You know, there was this uh, hotel, a brilliant hotel that the previous administration made. You know, a very uh, huge one that has been, you know, washed away with the floods. So, you know, the um, the loss of life and of uh, infrastructure is, you know, very uh, well. It's it's going to cost the economy, you know, a great amount, and especially with the political uncertainty uh, yes. right now within the country, very um, much so. mm-hmm. where we have the current administration uh, trying to cling on, um, whereas Imran Khan, who was uh, the prime minister at the start of the year, um, you know, has got extreme popularity amongst the people um but yeah it's just one of those things um where you know th- the situation in pakistan just keeps on um becoming dire um so yeah we hope and pray that everything returns to normality and um those people that have been affected by this flood mm. uh, receive the relief that they so rightly deserve definitely 100 percent now um, turning to some of the other headlines in the other papers, in the I newspaper, one of the main headlines is that um, trust. It says trust under pressure to offer energy help for all. So of course, you know, one of the main f- things that people are discussing nowadays is the is the uh, you know cost of living crisis, and there's there's pressure under the you know the of course we know there's two front runners for the mm. conservative leadership. Um, there's Liz Truss and uh, Rishi Sunak, yeah. and the front runner for prime minister is facing growing calls to widen the scope of the cost of living help beyond the most vulnerable, such as pensioners. Mm-hmm. Liz Truss has so far ruled out more help, but one MP tells uh, the I newspaper 
And it cannot just be people on benefits who are in line for support. So this thing is unprecedented because the rise in costs of so many things is just ridiculous. And you've got people yeah. who are doing two jobs, three jobs, people that are, you know, normally quite, you know, living comfortably, uh, you know, mm. but but just that's not just by, you know, sitting on their, on their hands. They're working quite hard and yeah. saving, you know, quite cleverly and being wise with their money. Yeah. Right? But even these people are, are, are you know, are feeling the costs. You know, you, you go to speak to many uh, people in businesses, people that are self-employed, mm. the, 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 the damage that's been done is, is, is uh, you know, it's really unbearable. Yeah, and look, you know, the winter months are going to come. Um, <coughs> and if anything, I think the EU is in perhaps a worse position than we are because a lot of their energy, uh, your gas and, and what have you, was being imported mm. uh, by Russia. So, from Russia, rather. Yes. Um, so, yeah, uh, their situation will be, you know, quote-unquote terrible. Um, and ours is, you know, yes, you know, the Ofgem did, I think, increase the energy cap to, I think, 3,500. On average, it will cost people. Mm. Um, so it's gone up by 1,000 or so. But, yeah, you know, it's just one of those things, really, yeah. um, mm. where nobody really expected the circumstances to be, you know, um, what they are now um, and yes you know some people could argue that you know the petrol prices at the pumps have come down somewhat but still you know mm. where they are it's you know nowhere where we would ever project them to be um, and then there's talks about recessions but I think it's on the one hand yeah there are um, you know rises mm. um, and that's why so many companies have gone to strike right. you know your, your Royal Mail um, workers when I struck the other day, you know, so many tube and train and transport in general. Yes, members yes. of those sort of um, communities um, have gone on strike. Yes, yesterday actually there was bus drivers that were striking. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So th there is a definitely a uh, cost of living uh, crisis. Exactly. Um, but. It, you know, dare I say there is an element of scaremongering I think so as well yes you know yes you know on the one hand it's it is the reality things haven't gone up but it's yeah I think it isn't to that extreme yet mm. um, but you know it could be different for everyone um, I think I think the thing is you know, there's there's a term that's used called um uh, economy, not what's it called, economic uh, awareness or something. Mm -hmm. They're being, you know, emotionally or economic, you know, financially aware yeah. of, of the situation. And I think the thing is, this is you know, this is one of the things I've said that you know, in schools or especially in high schools, when children are you know reaching towards the end of their education and moving on to university mm -hmm. or further education, I think it's really important that certain things like budgeting. Yeah, are taught to children. Taught, you know, basic yeah. things: budgeting, cooking, yeah. some basic DIY skills. These sorts of things to yeah. get them prepared for the uh, you know real real, real world. world. Yeah, and the thing is, um, I, I I totally agree. Where I think you know you're saying where there's scaremongering going on. Yeah. There's a lot of that, and and I think us as Muslims, we we always have to uh, be aware or understand that everything comes from God and everything you know is because of God and if we just trust in God 
And of course, we make our, our efforts as yeah, well. Yeah, our efforts as well. Yeah. yeah, then that everything should be okay. Yeah. Um, talk about trust, uh, let's trust again. In the Times um, newspapers, one of the headlines is that it says that here that um, Liz Truss will declare China an official threat for the first time. So this is one of the things you know. These really, things really won't <laughs> help. These yeah. things won't help anything. Yes, you know, our bilateral agreements. Um, <laughs> you know, we want to. If anything, I think that you know, why don't we want to work with China? They're more or less, you know, the um, the um, superpower of this current modern day and age. Yes. You know, they've surpassed China, uh, America. Everything is made in China. Mm. Yes. So why be the enemies? Um, you know, she's just trying to rally, mm. I don't know, the, the far right or God knows what, um, you know, specific group of people that she has in mind, but mm. it won't help. No. You know, it I, certainly won't help. And, and, and you know, like we were just discussing just two minutes ago, there's, there's, there's floods happening, there's economic crisis, you know, globally there's recession and so on. And this is the wrong time to be sort of Picking fights, I think, is well. yeah. You know, you sh- the focus should be on something more severe, which yeah, is you know, getting people, you know, off the streets. Support, yeah, people, yeah, support. support. We definitely need support. Mm. Um, you know, those people that are borderline um, in your sort of working class mm. or working class slash middle class. You know, they'll definitely fall in, into the working mm. class category, mm. and um, they should be the you know key focus of the campaign of these uh, two front runners, but yeah, only time will tell who becomes our new prime minister. Exactly, exactly. Just um, delving a little bit more into what she mm. said was that. Um, <coughs> excuse me, I'm sorry. It says China will be declared as a threat to national security for the first time under plans by Liz Truss for a tougher approach to Beijing. The foreign secretary has promised to reshape foreign policy if she becomes prime minister. She has pledged to re- reopen the integrated review uh, published last year, which set out British priorities in diplomacy and defence over the next decade. And so you like, quite rightly said, you know, mm. this is not the focus. It shouldn't be the focus right now. Yeah, no, exactly. The focus should be on supporting <coughs> people. Um, but I think she's just, you know, <coughs> they're trying every avenue to secure that seat. Um, you know, to assert enemies um, abroad, um, and put to everything and anything in their power to make sure that you know <coughs> they they have that seat within within um, you know close proximity. And even here, you know, there's an article from the BBC that. You know, store closures are at the lowest level for seven years. You know, there has been. The BBC reports have been a big fall in the number of chain stores shutting across Britain. And shop openings are still below pre-COVID levels. The PwC said the shock of the pandemic had eased, but warned that high inflation will hit the retail sector. So, you know, there's still a lot of companies that are struggling, you know, um, in producing those same levels Um that they had done pre-COVID, you know, um, and it's resulting in an overall loss of more than 202,000 outlets. Um, it's an average closure rate of 12 stores a day. So, you know, the economy needs to 
be uplifted. We need that push. But um, how that push comes around is a completely different story. Mm. In the Financial Times, one of the head, uh, headlines is as follows. It says, Poly- policymakers warn of challenges in tackling new era of inflation. Now, central banks face um, rates conundrum and the ECB talks of sacrifice. So the central bankers uh, face the most challenging um, um, economic landscape for decades and will find it harder to root out high inflation in the coming years, top officials and policymakers have warned. The world's leading economic authorities sounded the alarm about the forces working against central banks as they combat the worst inflation in decades at a gathering of key policymakers uh, in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Many said that uh, the global economy was uh, entering a new era and tougher era. So, you know, that's just, you know, it's, it's no like major surprise there, but still, you know, like we were talk- talking about earlier, is mm. people who are voted into power, people who are governing, they, they, they need to start thinking, you know, about gl- bigger than the bigger picture, looking at the, you know, sort of, the man on the street, mm. see what their needs are. Mm. Uh, you know, because there's been so many things that's been going on, Brexit and the pandemic and so on. Yeah, you know, it's the whole Brexit <coughs> um, picture or idea was sold to, to a lot of people, um, pushing the idea of being sovereign, um, being independent, making our own decisions, and above all, saving hundreds of millions a year. Now, whether or not those savings have actually been made is a completely different question. Um, a lot of people argue that you know, your labour market has dramatically decreased. You know the numbers of the numbers of people that were working, um, you know, have automatically, you know, after the, the Brexit deal, been forced to go back to um, the countries that they came from. So, coupled with you know, the pandemic and the cost of living crisis now, it's the whole situation, you know, you could say, has been flipped on its head. But, um, you know, we'll hope and wait and see the improvements now. They're also talking about interest rates going up again you know, in the latter part of the year. Um, so, I think that'll be the second or third rise, perhaps, perhaps even more. Um, but, yeah, I think it's just one of those years that we have to get through um, and you know where there is a, a sort of a decline there's always an um, an, an incline afterwards um, in the market in the economy so you know these up and downs come but it's just remaining optimistic and remaining positive really overall that you know after these tougher times ease is always just around the corner and that's just the way I think it has been for um, you know years in the past so you know we'll wait and see and, and God willing you know the ease will be just around the corner definitely definitely 100% and uh, I think just to finish off this uh, news uh, with uh, some um, some I'll say upbeat news is the um, it was the return of the Notting Hall Carnival yesterday so there was um 
many people um, took to the streets, you know, to celebrate, mm. you know, um, you know, happiness and joy and togetherness, mm. and you know, which is nice. You know, there, there's so many colorful um, uh, costumes, mm. <coughs> and um, yeah, so um, a lot of people are happy because as, as these restrictions are slowly, you know, lifted, you know, we're trying to get back to some sort of uh, some sort of sense of uh, normality. So it was nice just to have a bit of you know colour out there back on the streets. Right, um, dear listeners, we're going to be taking a short break. Right after the break, we shall be delving into our first topic, which is what holds back women from success. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback you'd like to, uh, or you'd like to involved in our show or talk about this particular topic, please do give us a ring on zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. وَلِلَّهِ الْأَسْمَاءُ الْحُسْنَى فَادْعُوهُ بِهَا Hazrat Yusuf, on whom be peace, mentions God's favors by virtue of his attribute of Al-Latif, the benignant, by recalling how God was his friend, while his brothers conspired against him. According to the lexicon, Latif is a kind of gracious being, one who is benevolent to his creation, as well as one who is aware of all subtle and incomprehensible matters. Al-Latif is one who illuminates hearts, who makes arrangements for physical and spiritual nourishment, and who offers his friendship to his servants during times of tribulation. The promised Messiah on whom be peace said that sight, intellect, and consciousness cannot reach God. It is impossible to try and see him. He is Al-Latif. He is unseen and illuminates the person he reaches to such an extent that the person speaks for him, a divine honor mostly granted upon the prophets of God. God is the knower of all subtleties and is all aware. He is of those who seek him and raises prophets to be their guide to him. His light is manifested through his prophets as they spread the light of unity of God all around them. Among all the prophets of God, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, disseminated this light the most. For it was he who had the most perfect perception of God, and it was he who was completely imbued in the colors of God. In the current age, because of his perfect and complete devotion, and subservience to the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. God has granted this distinct honor to the promised Messiah, on whom be peace. It is the attribute of Al-Latif that makes God the friend of his servants in all trials and tribulations. Just as the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, continuously prayed for the reformation of his Ummah as well as his opponents, as only a Latif can be the guidance and reformation. 
Al-Latif is the supporter of the victim, the voice of the oppressed. Al-Latif is that companion whose loyalty never fails to astound. It is he who fills hearts with his magnificent light. Then, should we not be grateful for the mercy of Al-Latif? You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. In the name of Allah, the most gracious ever, merciful. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you, dear listeners. Welcome back to the breakfast show. So we shall be talking about our first topic uh, of this morning, which is um, what holds back women from success. Now, what is this all about? So, the gist of this particular story is that in an era where um, women's rights and equal opportunities are a common discussion, this segment will discuss what prevented the England women's football team from being um, uh, successful earlier on. This comes with the Euro 2022 win at Wembley where um, they beat Germany 2-1 in the final. So, the summary of the main article following the victory of the women's UK football team, uh, the Lionesses, the article explores the history of women's football and provides in-depth analysis of what holds women from success um, in terms of football. um So success is measured by aims and objectives of life. Um, And Harvard's Business Review researched this point to write on April 2020 by a gentleman named Robin J. Ellie and Irene Padovic and having routinely investigated why firms have problems with retaining women and promoting them to senior ranks they found and I quote although virtually every employee the authors interviewed related a form of the standard explanation the firm's data told a different story Women weren't being held back because of trouble balancing work and family. Men too suffered from that problem and nevertheless advanced. Women were held back because they were encouraged to take accommodations such as going part-time and shifting to internally facing roles which derailed their careers. In other countries, sexism, gender discrimination, lack of education and lack of opportunity hold women back so these are some of the um, reasons as to you know what holds women back from success mm. I mean it was it was, it was an amazing feat and a amazing achievement from the lionesses you know mm. when they won oh yeah I was watching that match it was, it was, it was truly amazing and, and honestly um, the skill out there was really really good A top notch you know I can imagine um yeah, it's you know it's fantastic to see. Um, but uh, I'm pleased to say that we have also been joined by our first guest caller on the topic. A very warm welcome to Emma Bell. Morning. Morning. Thank you so much for being with us. Emma is the chair of Croydon Women's Football Club. Emma, could you kindly start off by telling us more about how Croydon Women's Football Club was established and 
your achievements. Um, you know, as we hear that you are uh, the league's champions last season. Yeah, of course. So actually, Croydon women were one of the top flight teams in football uh, back in the 90s. They won the FA Cup twice. They were league winners. Um, and unfortunately, the club disbanded in 2000. So we reformed in 2019 as an under-18s team and then expanded to become an all-ages team in 2020, which, as you can imagine, with the pandemic probably wasn't the most ideal time. But we've kind of established ourselves very much as a a local grassroots team. Um, And like you say, we've become more and more successful over the last couple of seasons. And yes, we finished last season as um, the league champions and actually went unbeaten all season in the league, which was an incredible achievement um, for a team that's only really, really been back together sort of for the last two or three years. That's fantastic, and uh, congratulations on that win. Um, so we were just talking about um, you know the, the the victory of the England's women football club. Um, you know, with that in mind, have you sensed a change in atmosphere and attitude towards? women in sports in general? I think there's definitely been a change in attitude. I think people are, for one thing, just more aware um, of women's sports successes. They're more interested, more likely to get involved, either by playing themselves or, you know, going to matches themselves or even sort of companies becoming more interested in things like sponsorship, which can only help the game progress even further. In terms of atmosphere... I would say that actually sort of my experience of women's football and sort of women's sport more generally is that it has always been a very positive and inclusive environment. And I think the challenge for us now will be to make sure that as the game grows and more people start to watch games and sort of take an interest in the sport, that we manage to keep that positivity and that inclusive environment going because I think it's such an important part of the game. And what about the level of motivation for young girls to, you know, play sports or join clubs? Do you think that's improved or that's sort of gained momentum? Yeah, absolutely. I think any time there's a big event like this, you always see that sort of real spark of momentum. And I think, you know, for any player, you know, watching England win at Wembley, you know, for a lot of people, yeah. that's a, such a huge um, thing to witness. And that is going to inspire, I think, a lot of young girls to take up the sport but I also think more generally seeing sort of women out on the big stage and achieving at that level it doesn't matter if you want to be a footballer it doesn't matter what you want to do I think just seeing women being successful and being celebrated for that success is going to encourage young girls and young boys to sort of strive for what they want to do in life and I think if we can make sure that that support is in place you know for what those children want to do then I think that can only be a positive thing. Uh, Emma, in your opinion, what difficulties do females face whilst uh, reaching their potentials, especially in the field of sports? I think, you know, some of it's the real basics about sort of the opportunities being made available to them. um, You know, the awareness that, you know, women and girls may want to play sports and sort of making sure those facilities are available. Um, I think facilities is something that is absolutely critical. You know, as Croydon women, we've only just from this season, we're going to be start playing back in Croydon. We've actually been playing out of Borough for the last few seasons because the facilities just aren't always there or not there in a way that, you know, women's teams have resources to access. Um, But I think there's also, you know, other things, other difficulties that women face. You know, if you look at top flight um, sports professionals still, you know, it's 
the science that starts to show that at certain times of the month they're more prone to injuries and obviously that can have a devastating impact on a player's career and I think we really need to start thinking about you know the specific tweaks or changes that women may need when they're training or when they're playing sport to really enable them to reach their potential but also to safeguard them against some of those challenges that just may not come up in the men's game. And uh, lastly Emma how can the public support and encourage young girls in taking part in sports and how important is it for everyone to be involved in these efforts? I think it's really important I mean I would say that but I mean I think it's a huge thing to be um, involved in. I think you know silly little things like raising awareness you know following teams on social media um those small actions can really help to create a buzz and really help to expose opportunities um, and raise awareness of teams that young girls can then reach out to you know going along to local matches or even going along to your local women's super league match um it just helps to instill sort of in the consciousness that this is a viable thing this is something that women and girls can do and i think looking out for opportunities for young girls to get involved in sports clubs i think we're going to see a, a huge growth in the number of youth teams being set up off the back of this summer so i think just encouraging girls to you know take advantage of those opportunities making sure that schools are playing sports things like that but I think the best thing and I think the most important thing that everyone can do is just not make the assumption that sport is for men. Like, I think we're really on the precipice of something here. of seeing like women belong in sports. They are successful in sports and we should be encouraging girls and women to be healthy, to be fit and active and to have the enjoyment that comes from either playing or watching sport. And I think that is a part for everyone to play in that. Uh, Emma, it's been a really um, inspirational uh, interview with you. Thank you so much and keep up the great work that you're doing and uh, we hope that, you know, uh, your team goes from strength to strength. Brilliant. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. Have a great day. Thanks. Bye. Bye for now. So that was uh, Emma Bowell, who's the chair of Croydon Women's Football Club. I mean, it's always nice to hear that people are so motivated and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and it's only spreading goodness, you know, and, and encouraging exercise encouraging sports and I think it's definitely um, you know uh, increasing the momentum is increasing mm. you know, in uh, that side of the sports 100% yeah. you know she was saying that um, you know they sort of re- uh, rejuvenated the whole scene back in 2019 and yes you know the pandemic came around mm. not best of times but you know they won the league um, so that's you know phenomenal and um, you know it goes to show that you know these countries that we, you know we reside in um, have this sort of momentum within them. You know mm, they yes. push all genders of um, you know towards success, um, both male and female. Um, but um, we were talking actually before um, we, we were joined by Emma mm. about what holds them back from success. Yes, and naturally each nation has its own you know um, reasons and issues yes. um, that they have to combat, um, and you know. The I've, I've got a list of some in front of me. Um, you know, there was a 50-year ban in 1920 um, on Boxing Day. 53,000 spectators watched two women's uh, clubs playing football at Goodison Park in Liverpool. Um, and in 1921, women were not allowed to play football on the affiliated FA football grounds as it was termed unsuitable for females. Um and the officials did not have the power to ban women 
from playing outright, which is why mm. in its ruling the FA instead asked clubs belonging to the association to refuse the use of their grounds for such matches. The Second World War required fit men for the war effort and a desire to see football was satisfied by a woman's football. And the ban was then lifted in 1971, some 50 years later, leaving the inevitable damage to development of, of women's football club and interest. Mm. Um, four years ago, the Women's Super League became professional, resulting in 3.4 million women and girls um, play football in England with 9,251 teams affiliated with the FA. And following the success of the Lionesses, the government unveiled its next phase of pitches and centres for women after it promised to invest £230 million pounds mm. in you know, grassroots. That's, that's, that's one of the things that, you know, are we... It's so evident, it's so obvious to everyone that the lack of investment and lack of support out there for women's sports mm. in general, mm. you know, it's, 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 it's not as it should be, and especially when it comes to things like football, right? We're talking about football in particular. Uh, and I think it's, it's, it's a time now where we need to start thinking um, you know, more progressively and 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 give them you know because we were talking about some uh, you know some of the statistics that came out was that how you know the the s- the massive pay difference between you know different uh, the men's football and and and, and women's football mm. and the thing is when you honestly I was watching when we were watching the final it was so brilliant I mean the skills that sometimes they uh, honestly sometimes they outshine the men with their skills mm. so I think it's something positive like that should be encouraged you know the thing is one of the other things is this lack, lack of football for girls in schools in general uh, to rectify the situation of little football for uh, girls in schools the FA pledges to both bolster after school sessions and work with grassroots clubs and community football providers to, to ensure as many young girls as possible carry on playing football into and through their teenage years and if there's of course you know women football players suffer sexism and at times misogynistic abuse as was the case during the recent Euros. Now in research conducted by German broadcasters ARD and NDR and the broadsheet newspaper um, I, I couldn't pronounce that pardon me Sudendutsch Zeitung <laughs> it was concluded that of 300 offensive social media posts detected by UEFA during the contest group stage now, members of the male England squad have partnered with the Lionesses to tackle misogyny in the game. It is intended that a new dream team will be created consisting of the UK's highest profile male and female players. Now, of course, like I was saying earlier, there's less money in women's sports. Mm. Despite the fact uh, that the Women's Super League was launched over 10 years ago, it is only now that a serious amount of money is being poured into it. So even so, it is felt that there is less investment in women's football. Former England player Alex Scott is reported to have said she believes the onus will be on sponsors to prove their worth to the Lionesses, not the other way round. Again, there's some uh, financial barriers for girls on their way up. The pay-to-pay terminology associated with women's football suggests that parents have to pay for their daughters to get access to play at Premier League uh, football clubs while boys train 
with the club's academies, uh, academies for free. Local access to Premier Clubs is also a training issue for both gender footballers. Uh, but on a positive note, the FA has already declared it wants to get 120,000 more girls playing football in the wake of the Lioness's success, unveiling plans to boost uh, grassroots football and inclusion over the next 18 months. You know, the thing is, I think uh, we, can, we can only have a fairer society when we have you know, equal rights. And this is one of the things that Islam has been championing, you know, since the inception of Islam, mm. 14, 1500, 1600 years ago, pardon my friends, I, you know, I, I don't know the exact timeline, but, you know, back then, you know, there were so many rights given to women. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, you know, on that point there, um, you know, the football players are doing <coughs> fair bit, you know, in making sure that this sort of element, you know, not just in the sports um, arena, but also, you know, this, having this sort of um, success that Lioness has had, you know, it, it opens the um, the doors for you know, this conversation to exist, you know, furthermore than it already has, and you know, enables the you know the discussions and the you know the plans to be constructed as to you know well where do we go on from here because that's really important you know um and you know you are touching upon um various points within islam you know um whereby you know there are rights which islam you know very earlier on distributed to women um and you know the two genders yes you know they need to be treated differently um, in at least some life activities, but you know the conversation here about sports. You know, if absolute equality was a goal in sports, then obviously you know, we would have tournaments with women and men playing together or against each other. And you know, this isn't the case um, because then you know there will be a level of inequality by having you know, men pretending to be. Um, trying to take part um, and you know there's been this disparity um, but what we do find is that the you know each gender has its mm. strengths and weaknesses um, that may or may not overlap and in certain respects one gender has an advantage over the other mm. and in other respects you know, the other gender has the advantage um, as one psychiatrist said in Dr. Neil Burton he puts it like this Biological advantages and disadvantages are more or less equally distributed between the sexes. And in spite of these differences, God declares within the Holy Quran, and I quote, chapter 4, verse 125, But whoso does good works, whether male or female, and is a believer, such shall enter heaven, and, sh and shall not be wronged, even as much as the hallow in the back of a date stone. So in other words, as far as one's spirituality relationship with Allah is concerned, you know, there is indeed absolute equality between the genders. And that's a big statement. Mm. Um, you know, various other religions um, you know, struggle to conceive the point of there being a level of equality um, in terms of religious gain mm. um, and religious um, uh, 
advantages um, and success. And more to the point, His Holiness, the fifth candidate of the Amdi Muslim community, in this year's annual convention, he stated, um, and he, uh, on, on this point of, you know, Muslim women, yes. he said that mm. the examples of these women, um, i.e. the picture of a true Muslim woman, so he said the example of these women included the women companions of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and the promised Messiah, and those examples of great women who lived during the era of the same caliph of the Ahmadi Muslim community. And the numbers of these women's, um, yeah, they're so large that volumes upon volumes of books would need to be written to complete their accounts. And these narrations show that from the very inception of Islam, the great station Islam gave women made these examples of great women possible. And, and these, these women who gave sacrifices for their lives, their wealth, mm. children, you know, paint a picture of the great glory of Islam and the rights it gave to women. So, mm. long story really short, you know, um, for those of us that are aware, would know that, you know, Islam has, from its inception, like you mentioned, Brother Khalid, mm. you know, has always given women's, um, women their rights. Um, and it went in the, in the avenue of sports, which is, pertinent to the topic at hand, you know, it should certainly also be the case. Um, and I think it's just bringing about that level of awareness continuously, um, you know, making sure that this doesn't fall under the radar, so to speak. Exactly. And now, our beloved Caliph, the global Caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, he once said that, you know, we should not let the talent of even one girl go to waste. May all powerful Allah enable us to all to do this. What reformation would take place if every girl reached her potential? How I wish that all men of every community saw women as partners, helpers, uh, excuse me, partners, helpers, and not rivals or servants. You know, and this is the thing again and again. You know, we we there's so much um, respect that's that 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 you know is. Mm. Given towards women in Islam, which people are not aware of, and this is what the you know the breakfast show is here to do. The voice of Islam is here mm. to talk to, about the two teachings of Islam and give the uh, 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 the true picture of what Islam is, uh, you know, is about. And uh, on that note, you know, you know, we we for our listeners who are not aware, you know, the, this show is you know all the shows, a majority of the shows on the voice of Islam. Mm. And in particular, the breakfast show, we've got a fantastic team of of, of, of uh, ladies, students, uh, doctors, mothers, and so on, who who help us in preparing this show. You know, and mm. uh, in particular today, I want to thank uh, our producer Faiza Chima and our researchers Faiza Mansur, Ruxana, and Wajiha. So these are the, all the young ladies who are. Help prepare the show today. Um, we shall be taking a short break for the eight o'clock news, uh, and then after the eight o'clock news, we shall be just um, finalizing or you know, wrapping up this particular topic. Uh, but like I said, if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, please do give us a ring on zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. You can also tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. Now, one of the other things, um, there was the one of the auxiliary organizations within the community, the Ahmadi Muslim community, is the Lajna Imaila. So they are the ladies' um, auxiliary organization. Mm. And in one particular country in Ghana, 
they had the honor of uh, a virtual meeting with the worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community on the 26th of January 2021. And our beloved Huzoor, uh, our beloved Khalif, he uh, provided guidance to young girls and said that the um, secretary for girls should make it an objective to ensure all the uh, young members should at least complete their middle school when the girls enter the, the next stage, which is the Lajna Imala, the Secretary of Student Affairs should then try to identify their talents. They should be given the opportunity to have better and higher education and to go to university. If because of some financial restraints or some other problems they cannot do so, then we should help them and we should not let the talent or potential of even one girl go to waste. So it just goes to show that within our community, there's, like we were saying again and again, there's a big um, drive and a big, a lot of support for our, you know, sisters and our mm. mothers and our aunties and you know all the female of the community. Mm. Yeah, no, exactly. You bang on, um, and it's always been the case, isn't it? and it will long remain the case. Um, but we'll take a short break, and uh, after the eight o'clock news, as Brother Khalid mentioned. We'll wrap up this segment and, you know, start off with um, the next one, which is how to reduce risk of cancer with diet. The contemporary age, an age of reform and revolution, a time where the geopolitical outline of the world has transformed drastically within a scale of a few years. From the formation of countries and states to the continuous regime changes and revolts in the name of the establishment of democratic values, what are the principles upon which the basis of governance and socio-economics should be laid. Does Islam really have the answer to the economical unrest in the world? Read the economic system of Islam by Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmud Ahmed Razilatalanhu, the promised reformer and the second successor of the promised Messiah Allah. of Islam Radio. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. 
Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. And welcome back to the breakfast show here at the Voice of Islam. So, before the break, we were just going over some of the Islamic points um, as to where Islam um, lies on the topic of um, well, equality within um, well, the rights between uh, male and female. Um, but we now have a very short audio clip um, which will play for our listeners on this very topic. The women are free to work as they please, as long as they are not married and their parents have no objection. They are free to work as long as they are married and their husbands have no objection against this. Because their responsibility, the responsibility of their maintenance is either on their parents or on their husbands. According to the Holy Quran, they are qawwam. They are obliged to spend on their wives and take care of all the requirements. So it is not essential for any Muslim woman to work for her living. But she has the option and choice to work whenever she pleases together to provided that she does not in any way neglect her responsibilities of maintaining home and children, etc. If she neglects that responsibility, we, this would be in fact uh, equal to the neglect of the future generation. The girls or the women who work while they are married and have children, they have very little time to take care of the household requirements and also of the children and their upbringing. So they are either handed over to uh, hired hands or babysitters or uh, <coughs> they are just locked into the, in the house or sent to the school and collected from the school. This is very unfair treatment to the future human generation. So Islam strongly discourages this. Yet, if the husband agrees and both agree, nothing can stop them from doing it. But at the same time, <coughs> Islam requires husband to earn for himself and for his family, and he, and he has no right on the money earned by his wife. So either he should permit her or not permit her. This is the only choice. But if he permits her, he cannot use her as a sort of, uh, uh, you know, means of increasing his own personal income. Whatever the wife will earn would belong to her. If the husband knows that she can only part with this money if I keep her happy. It is far more likely for the husband to behave properly to, the, to such a wife. So this in short is what I understand from the Islamic teachings in the Quran and the Hadith. So this was a short audio clip um, of a question and answer program um, and this question was answered by the fourth caliph, our beloved caliph, Hazrat Mizat Ahir Ahmed, may Allah have mercy on him. 
and the question was whilst was most sorry whilst women struggle with their careers islam is often accused of not not letting women work so the audio clip explains are women allowed to work in islam so you know quite rightly um brother Shizab, you know he says that you know we obviously you know women are allowed to work and you know when we were looking at the um some of the amazing and influential women out there you know in the wider uh you know world you know there's there's so many inspirational women and so many women that um achieve so much you know yeah and you when you talk about the progress of islam and and you talk about the f- the first wife of the holy prophet may the peace and blessings of allah be upon him upon her you know the, the amazing things, things that she did she gave up all her wealth because she believed in Islam and she believed in the you know the Prophet and his character you know was mm. such you know that that she gave all the way all her wealth to him and said look the wealth is yours and what did he do with it you know he was not a worldly person he gave the wealth away mm. and always distributed it <coughs> and there's so many other you know uh, women who've done so much you know to 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 you know when you talk about Aisha peace be upon her. And she, you know, she she was asked once, you know, um, about the character of the Holy Prophet, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. And so her reply was, "I look at the Holy Quran. Whatever was said in the Quran, his character was the same. There was no, you know, uh, you know, there's no difference. It was, you know, hundred percent. It was the same. So, you know, Alhamdulillah, uh, by the grace of Allah, we, there's so many opportunities and and so many amazing." Uh, you know, uh, uh, women in Islam who, who you know who are encouraged, mm. you know, to 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 further their education, and they're supported in doing so as well. And the, one of the other things, the last thing I wanted to say was that you know, we have a, an NGO called Humanity First, mm. and one of the things they do is um, they they do various projects around the world, and it's often countries that are stuff you know sort of um, remote parts of the world and villages and other parts and towns and cities where there there's you know lots of uh, financial hardship and quite remote uh remote little villages and what they do humanity first they go out and they actually give people the skills there's one project called skills for life and not only giving them water for life you know like water wells and so on yeah. and electricity and so on um they actually give people the skills to be enabled to be you know support themselves so rather than just you know, yeah. begging for help they actually yeah. managing businesses now and sustainable exactly mm. no it's very mm. yeah, very important um both in what we've been talking about and uh, that point that you mentioned and um you know you know again and again you know we've we've sort of touched on this topic all the various um avenues of this topic and in essence you know what we've always come back to is that islam as you know, we've heard um previous caliphs and the current caliph you know, talk about is that the religion of Islam has always been in support of allowing, you know, women to flourish, to achieve all sorts of success in all walks of life, in all um, fields of life. Um, you know, so this whole concept or this notion which is brought against Islam mm. of being oppressive towards women is completely, you know, nonsense. You know, you know, one of the things that's always fascinated me growing up was when I heard how it was the ladies in in in, in uh, a remote part of uh, India yeah. who supported the building of the first mosque in London. Mm. 
or London Mosque, the Fazal Mosque yeah. in South Wales, and it was th- their their jewelry, their bang bangles, and so yeah. on. You know, they supported the building of this mosque. So, you know, amazing achievement, and yeah. <coughs> you know, may Allah uh, continue to, to let our uh, you know our ladies go from strength to strength, and and then make sure that they're encouraged and supported. Definitely. Definitely. All right, let's have a short break and then we shall be delving into our second topic of the day. Uh, Please do not go anywhere and join us after this very short break. Following the prophethood of Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, is the easiest route through which one can reach God. Obedience to it wins the gift of divine love and communion greater and more than ever before. However, a perfect follower of it cannot be called a prophet per se. For that would be an affront to the perfect and absolute prophethood of Muhammad, peace be upon him. Yet, with regard to him, the two expressions Ummati and Nabi can be applied in conjunction, because by doing so, no disrespect is implied to the perfect and final prophethood of Muhammad, peace be upon him. Rather, because of this beneficence of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, the light of his prophethood becomes all the more clear and resplendent. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Many peace and blessings of Allah be upon you, dear listeners. Welcome back once again to the breakfast show. We should now be talking about our second discussion point this morning. The topic uh, is entitled How to Reduce the Risk of Cancer with Diet. Now, a study has shown that starch in unripe bananas has the potential to reduce the occurrence of some cancers by 60%. It is the first time to find that dietary products can um, prevent uh, hereditary, excuse me, hereditary cancers. And, you know, the scientists say that the studies showing that starch in unripe bananas, like I said, can reduce this risk. Uh, it's amazing, by 60%, right? So the research um, uh, involving people with high hereditary risk of a wide range of cancers has shown a major preventative effect from resistant starch found in a range of foods such as oats and slightly green bananas. The international um, trial involved almost 1,000 patients with Lynch syndrome from around the world. It revealed that the regular dose of resistant starch, uh, also known as fermentable fiber, taken for an average of two years, reduced cancers everywhere except in the bowel by more than half. This effect was particularly pronounced for upper gastrointestinal cancers such as osphagal, gastric, biliary tract, pancreatic and duodenum cancers. Now, apologies for um, messing up. <laughs> a couple of... Uh, so, some medical terms there. Yes, right? exactly. So the significant effect was seen to last for 10 years after stopping taking the supplement. Professor John Mathers, Professor of Human Nutrition at Newcastle University, stated that they found that resistant starch reduces a range of cancers by over 60%. The effect was most obvious in the upper part of the gut. Now, this is 
important as cancers of the upper GI tract are difficult to diagnose and often are not caught early on. Resistant starch can be taken as a powder supplement and is found naturally in peas, beans, oats and other starchy foods. The dose used in the trial is equivalent to eating a daily banana. Now, I'm happy to say that I eat a banana every day, so, that, mm. so I'm, I'm, yeah, I think you're I'm doing something right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. good. Now, so this is before they become too ripe and soft. The starchy banana resists breakdown and reaches the bowel where it can change the type of bacteria that live there. Now, resistant starch is a type of carbohydrate that isn't digested in your small intestine. Instead, it ferments in your large intestine, feeding beneficial gut bacteria. It acts in effect like dietary fiber in your digestive system, says Mothers. So this type of starch has uh, several health benefits and fewer calories than regular starch. We think that resistant starch may reduce cancer uh, development by changing the bacterial metabolism of bile acids and to reduce those types of bile acids that can change our DNA and eventually cause cancer. However, this needs further research. So I think we've heard of the points about how, you know, for example, stopping smoking. Um, and they say that smoking is by far the leading risk factor for lung cancer. Um, and it contributes to other cancers such as mouth, throat, cervical and bladder cancer. And your body really begins recovering from smoking within minutes after quitting. Um, and your risks... Um, for many cancers are cut in half five years after you quit um, there's also passive smoking um, I'm not sure many of our listeners will know that second hand smoke can cause lung cancer in adults um, you've never even smoked mind you being more active um, you know, physical activity it reduces your risk of several types of cancers including breast and colon cancer the American Cancer Society recommends that adults get at least 150 minutes of moderate intensive intensive activity each week. Um, children and teens should get at least an hour of moderate um, to intense activity each week. Eat more plants. You know, eat your greens effectively. Um, yeah, it's the most important thing you can do to stay healthy and certain foods can impact your cancer risk. Eat at least two and a half cups of vegetables and fruits each day and minimise your intake of processed meats such as hot dogs um, and lunch meats. And now this being a huge issue to limit alcohol intake amongst the, you know, the general public um, you know, drinking alcohol raises your risk for breast, throat, liver, um, and other cancers. Um, so that being a, a a huge sort of um, avenue to to make sure that you know we stay away from all of these, you know, five or six um, uh, points. Um, and just lastly. You know, to protect your skin, you know, the sun, sun lamps, and tanning beds all give off ultraviolet rays that cause skin damage and can lead to skin cancer. And when you're in the sun, as all of us have been in the recent past, always apply sunscreen to your skin that has at least 
<coughs> some protection factors, SPF of 15. It's very important that we remember these points. Yeah, the, all these things, you know, it's, it's very, like you said, um, it's, it's important points that we should remember. And this is the whole purpose of, of our program, you know, to educate people. Because, there's, you know, we always learn lots of new things on these programs. And sometimes people think that, oh, it's, it's not sunny today, so I don't need to wear sunscreen. You mm. should be wearing it mm. if you, you, you're, you know, you've got a particular type of skin that you know, requires you to wear sunscreen mm. and it's not just in sunny weather or when you're just going to the beach you know what like most people will probably be doing today mm. uh, as see as a bank holiday Monday or what you know it, the thing is it, it's really important to have these skin uh, creams on and um, going back to the you know the initial subject matter which is you know diets right mm. this is this is one of the most um, you know most beautiful things and uh, about Islam, it's such a comprehensive religion that covers all the bases. And you know, when mm. it talks about you know your, how to conduct yourself in public, how to conduct yourself at home, mm. you know, um, the rights of women, the rights of men, the rights of children, the rights of animals, plants, trees, the environment, and so on. And um, also, you know, so many, um, so, there's so much guidance there, and so much wisdom in the teachings of Islam, and especially when it comes to things like. Food. Yeah, you know, we're always told to eat in moderation, not to overeat or eat excessively. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we shouldn't do damage our health. So you know, you know. Of course, we know that smoking is is not prohibited Islam, but it's encouraged not to smoke because it is something that's damaging our health. Yeah. Similarly, with alcohol, you know, uh, we we we're not we're not uh, allowed to consume alcohol. Why? Because there's so many, you know. Ailments that come in, and you know, you know, having worked, you know, worked in the, in, in hospitals and different mm. sort of social in the social care field, you see mm. this all the time. Mm. People that unfortunately um, have been consuming so much alcohol excessively, you know, it, it, the damage that's done to them is amazing. It's so sad to see, you know. Mm. And we, when we talk about dieting, this is why I think one of my favorite times of the year is. Not just for the physical aspect, but of course, it's more the spiritual aspect. When we yeah. talk about the holy month of fasting, Ramadan, yeah, where we're collectively fasting and you know trying to better ourselves and you know, get some sort of you know spiritual um, sort of improvement. Yeah, no, exactly, and it's very important uh, <coughs> that we do so. Uh, and the points that you mentioned are all very pertinent. You know, Islam has addressed all of these issues. Um, At yeah, this point of how, uh, how rather, you know, if we focus on our diet, there's a, an element of risking, or, or rather reducing the risk of uh, cancer. And it's true, you know, the amount of processed foods that are available at everybody's doorsteps nowadays, is, it's incredible. Um, so having a very healthy lifestyle and more so a healthy diet, it's, it's key. Um, and cancer research, because there's also an element of research into the topic, you know, the cancer research is important because the better we understand these diseases, the more progress we will make towards diminishing the tremendous human and economic toll of cancer. Um, you know, research has effectively helped us accumulate extensive knowledge about the biological process involved in cancer um, from the onset, from its growth and spread in the body. And those discoveries have led to more effective and targeted treatments and prevention strategies 
you know, breakthroughs in prevention, early detection, screening, diagnosis, and treatment are often the result of research and discoveries made by scientists in a wide array of disciplines over decades and even generations. So, yeah. so um, ultimately, cancer research requires collaborations and communication between researchers, clinicians, patients, and others to translate yesterday's discoveries uh, into um, into um, today's advances and tomorrow's cures. Research progress is often not linear, but cyclical uh, sli- <clears throat> and ongoing. Now, advances are the result of constantly building on um, you know earlier. You know, earlier progress uh, and earlier discoveries and observations. Cancer research is crucial to improve the prevention, detection and treatment of these cancers and ensure that survivors live longer, better quality lives. Research also helps identify the causes of cancer and is pointing the way to improved methods of diagnosis and treatment. Uh, So while much of our cancer research will benefit uh, the next generation of cancer patients. Research is also extremely important for cancer patients being treated today. Studies have shown that cancer patients treated at research intensive hospitals have better outcomes than those treated in hospitals with little or no research activity. Now, decades ago, most invasive cancers were fatal for example, until the 1960s, almost all true children diagnosed with leukemia and most men diagnosed with testicular cancer died from their illness. And today, almost all of these cancers are cured by treatments uh, developed through research. However, we still desperately need improvements in many aspects of cancer. It's very true. And on that note, um, I'm pleased to say that we have been joined by our guest caller for this segment. A very warm welcome to Alice Davis. Thanks so much for being with us this morning. Alice, you with us? Oh, my apologies. Um, John Mathers. John Mathers, how are you this morning? Good morning. Uh, very nice to be with you. Thank you so much for joining us, John. Um, John, first question which I'd like to ask you is, could you start us telling us more about the research conducted on resistant starch um, and dietary fiber? Yes, thank you very much. So this paper that we published very recently uh, was a study of the long-term effects of resistant starch, which is a, a form of dietary fiber in people with Lynch syndrome. In this study, our participants took the supplement of resistance starch for about two years. And what we were doing in this study was to look at the long-term consequences for cancer development in these people for 10 or even up to 20 years later. And what we discovered was that those people who had taken the resistance starch had fewer cancers in the upper gastrointestinal tract So that means fewer cancers of the pancreas, bile duct, stomach, and duodenum. So really exciting uh, uh, findings suggesting that a normal dietary component could help us to reduce the risk of cancer. In terms of, um, so we sort of touched upon this earlier on, but could you tell us in greater detail, um, what is the Lynch syndrome? 
Okay, so Lynch syndrome is a clinical condition, a relatively rare clinical condition, in which people with Lynch syndrome have a greater risk of developing cancers in several parts of the body, and they tend to develop these cancers at an earlier age than the rest of the population. The reason people have this problem is that they've inherited a damaged copy of a particular gene from either their father or their mother. And because they have this damaged gene, they cannot look after their DNA in the way that the rest of us manage our DNA. And so they acquire damage to DNA, in fact, all over the body. And damage to DNA is a fundamental cause of the development of cancer. You know, we, we know that the diet plays a huge part in um, you know, preventing diseases such as cancer and heart disease. But what are the other aspects of you know, the diet um, specifically that are in fact useful in preventing um, you know, these, these ailments and illnesses? Yes, you're absolutely right. Diet's very important in the prevention of cancer and a number of other non-communicable diseases like heart disease. And over the last uh, 30 or more years, we've had a lot of research to help us define what makes a healthy diet. So we know that a healthy diet is usually a plant-based diet, so rich in whole grains, vegetables, fruits, beans, and so on. It should be a diet which has a limited amount of fast foods. We shouldn't eat too much red and processed meat. Uh, we should cut down on sugary drinks. And if you drink alcohol at all, uh, it should be in very limited amounts. And importantly, of course, we should not eat too much because becoming overweight uh, or obese is also a risk for uh, many different cancers. So we can improve our diet overall um, by the things that I've just mentioned, and, and that will help us to reduce cancer risk. And, uh, John, are there any... Um avenues of research on cancer prevention that you know, may lead to further breakthroughs? Well, at the moment, we are studying people who have been part of UK Biobank. Uh, some of your listeners may be aware that UK Biobank is a study of half a million middle-aged and older people who have been taking part in this study now for more than 10 years. So what we're looking at in, in this half million people is the links between their diet and a whole range of health outcomes, including cancer, heart disease, and dementia. And what we're looking at is specifically how well they do if they have better adherence to the cancer prevention recommendations. And what we're seeing in new studies not yet published is that those people who have better adherence to the cancer prevention recommendations have fewer cancers, uh, and that's uh, about 10 different cancers where they do better if they have a better lifestyle. In future studies, we're also going to uh, look at those people who have already had a diagnosis of cancer, because what we'd like to know is for those people who have had a diagnosis of cancer, who have gone through their treatment, what happens to them afterwards? 
Um, and so we're looking at the long-term consequences of having a healthier lifestyle for those people who have been diagnosed with cancer. Thank you so much, uh, John Mathers, Professor of Human Nutrition at Newcastle University, for joining us this morning. And hopefully we can speak in the very near future. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. That was, as I mentioned, John Mathers, Professor of Human Nutrition at Newcastle University. And it's excellent, you know, that we do have an expert, or rather experts on the topic, that we can further understand, you know, this terrible, terrible illness that is cancer. And, you know, there's so much research that has been done and will continue to be done mm. um, on the topic uh, because it requires so much um, and so much investment, um, you know, within understanding the, the disease in general. Um, so it's, you know, certainly very helpful to have the, the experts on board Exactly, and and the thing is, you know, the um, we were fortunate enough to have a, another interview, and we spoke to Alice Davies, who's the health information manager at Cancer Research UK, and we asked her a few questions, and this is what she had to say. So I'm delighted to be joined by Alice Davies. Now, Alice is a health a health information manager at Cancer Research UK. Um, uh, joining us for this pre-recording in advance for the for the breakfast show, um, Alice, welcome to the Voice of Islam Radio, and, and thank you for thank you for agreeing to do this interview for the breakfast show. Thank you for having me. Now I must tell you, Alice, that I'm actually um, slightly disappointed in this story because I really like overripe bananas. So to know that we have to, it's actually better to eat bananas when they're when they're not ripe is a, it's a bit of a blow to me personally. Before we get into the, before we get into the story about um, how uh, this this article is you know this, uh, talking about how the starch in green bananas can, can reduce the cancer risk, and I'll ask you a little bit about that. Could you just tell us a little bit um, more about Cancer Research UK and what you do for them? Yeah, of course. Um, so Cancer Research UK is the world's leading charity, um, and we're ded- dedicated to saving lives um, through research, influence, and information on cancer. Um, So we support research into all aspects of cancer, so that's prevention, um, diagnosis and treatment of cancer. Um, And one of our main ambitions is to see three in four patients surviving cancer um, by 2034. Um, My job specifically is to look into um, cancer prevention, early diagnosis and screening, um, and to put out information to the public. Um, So, yeah, we, we want to kind of educate the public on how they can reduce their risk of cancer, um, you know, how they can be diagnosed earlier um, and, you know, just how they can live um, healthier lives in general. Fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you. Um, and could you please tell us a little bit about the research that's currently happening on the, happening on the prevention of cancer? Are there any key findings um, in this research at the moment? Um, so there's been lots of research into how to prevent cancer over the years. Um, and we now have actually quite a good understanding of the key things that you can do to reduce your risk of cancer. Um, so, yeah, the good news is that uh, a Cancer Research UK study has shown that around 4 in 10 cancers in the UK can actually be prevented. Um, and although there's never any guarantee against cancer, we, we do know that the best things, we do kind of know some of the best things that you can do to reduce your risk. Um, so, th- these are things like um, not using tobacco. Um, so, smoking is the biggest cause of cancer in the UK. Um, so, yeah, avoiding tobacco use um, is the best thing you can do to reduce your risk. Um, so that's smoking cigarettes, but also using other types of tobacco, like chewing tobacco or shisha. 
Um, the second biggest cause of cancer um, is overweight and obesity. So another thing you can do to reduce your risk is to keep keep a healthy weight. Um, another things you know are things like eating a healthy, balanced diet um, and being safe in the sun. They can all reduce your risk of cancer. I guess you know, you mentioned there smoking shisha. I guess when we talk about the latest research, um, you might be using science that's been around for a while. But I guess for you know shisha has become relatively new phenomenon that's kind of exploded in the UK amongst young people especially. So it's really interesting for you to say that smoking shisha kind of carries the same dangers as, as, as traditional cigarette smoking does. Yeah, so, you know, shisha involves um, using tobacco and it's it's the tobacco um, in smoking that is, is the, the harmful part. So it contains a lot of harmful chemicals um, and it's, it's these chemicals um, that, that, can, that can cause cancer. So the best thing to do is to avoid using any kind of tobacco. And you mentioned there about obesity. Um, what, what, what role does diet play generally in cancer prevention? And, and especially in those types of, of cancer that are hereditary. Um, so, I mean, studying diet is, is quite hard um, as people's diets kind of change over their lives and you have to look, look over quite a long period of time. Um, and when you're looking at hereditary conditions, it's kind of even harder because... Um, these hereditary conditions that cause cancer are quite rare, so the number of people that are kind of available to study is quite small. Um, so at the moment, there's not really enough research to know um, if diet prevents uh, plays a role in kind of preventing hereditary cancers, um, uh, sort of you know like the the one mentioned um, in the study. Um, but the good news is that most that cancers um, that are caused by the genes that you inherit are actually quite rare, um, and most are not caused by hereditary conditions. Um, so in general, eating a healthy diet can reduce your risk of cancer. Um, and you know, when, when we talk about diet, it can be quite easy to get fixated on kind of one food or one type of food. But actually, yeah. there's, there's, not, there's not one type of food um, or a superfood that on its own will reduce your risk. Um, so your overall diet really is much more important. Um, so you want to be thinking about a healthy diet. Um, and that's one that has a lot of fruit and vegetables, um, whole grains, like brown or rice or brown pasta um, and kind of healthy sources of protein like like beans or, or fresh white meat um, mm. and, you know, kind of trying to cut down on, on things like red and processed meat. And I guess that, you know, we've talked a lot about lifestyle choices there and, and it seems to me that lifestyle choices are, you know, clear that it's an important part of all of this. Um, lastly, how can we encourage the public to take part in screening programmes and why is, it, why is that important? So yeah, there are three different cancer screening programs in the UK. Um, so breast, bowel and cervical screening. Um, mm -hmm. And these programs um, can either help to prevent cancer or they can help um, to spot cancer at an early stage where treatment's more likely to, to work. Um, and we know that these screening programs offered on the NHS can save lives from cancer. Um, so if you're eligible, it is really important to consider going. Um, so to make sure you can attend, um, you've got to be registered with a GP. Um, and when you're registered with a GP, you'll automatically get uh, your invite through the, through the post when it's time to, to go for screening. Um, so when you do get that invite, it's, it's really important to, to read all the information and, and really consider going. Excellent. Alice Davies, thank you so much for your time. It's been really interesting and informative hearing from you today. And um, we'd love to have you on again sometime. And, and, and thanks for being on The Voice of Islam Radio. Thanks very much for having me. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. So that was an interview conducted with Alice Davies, who's the Health Information Manager at Cancer Research UK. And it just goes to show, show, you know, the things that she was saying, how 
just a sim. It's not. It's nothing that's not within our control, is it? Really, because we're we're masters of, of our own mm-hmm. destinies, and mm-hmm. just being you know, careful with our diet. And you know, it's not always changing massive things or making massive changes. Mm-hmm. Just small little steps that we can take to to improve our health. Exactly. And we, of course, we know. No, no, look, I was talking about Ramadan earlier. You know how during the month of Ramadan is one of the happiest times of the year for me and all Muslims because mm-hmm. we we are all spiritually and collectively um, trying to better ourselves we're trying to bring ourselves closer to God and we also with the physical aspect of it where we're not just eating you know and our body's just cleansing itself detoxifying itself and we feel so much better more alert and you know more motivated and happier more upbeat so there's so much benefit in in just being strict with ourselves and uh, the dieting. Yeah, exactly. You're right, and a lot. You know, that's why it's said. You know, you are what you eat, mm. and it's really important that we make sure that we eat healthy um, and have a huge impact on our overall behaviour, persona, and um, um, characteristics in general. Um, but we'll take a short break, and after the break, we'll uh, continue with this segment and see what Islam has to say on the matter of diet. Our jihad is not a jihad of swords, guns, or bombs. Our jihad is not a jihad of cruelty, brutality, and injustice. Rather, our jihad is of love, mercy, and compassion. Our jihad is of tolerance, justice, and human sympathy. Our jihad is to fulfill the rights of God Almighty and of His creation. The Creator, the one who created all that is in existence. Verily, your Lord is Allah, who created the heavens and the earth in six periods. Then he settled himself firmly on the throne. He governs everything. The Compeller, the one who completes that which is incomplete and who has the ability to make people do what he wants. Holy is he, when he decrees a thing, he says to it, be, and it comes into being. Writings of the Promised Messiah Then arise and repent, and win the pleasure of God through good works. Remember that the punishment of wrong beliefs is after death. Being a Hindu or a Christian or a Muslim will be determined on the day of judgment. But a person who goes beyond the limit in wrongdoing, transgression, disobedience, and vice is punished in this life. Such a one cannot escape God's chastisement. So hasten to win God's pleasure and before the dreadful day arrives, namely the day of intensity, of the plague of which the prophets have warned, make your peace with God. He is very benevolent to the one moment of the repentance that melts the heart. He can forgive the sins spread over 70 years. Do not say the repentance is not accepted. Remember that you cannot be saved by your deeds. It is grace that saves and not deeds. Benevolent and merciful Lord, bestow thy grace upon all of us. We are thy servants and have fallen down 
upon thy threshold. Amin. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Uh, dear listeners, I hope you you are enjoying today's show. Um, we've been talking about two very interesting topics, and um, we just like now to turn to the Islamic perspective regarding this particular topic. Uh, and in this topic, you know, we were talking about how you know how to reduce the risk of cancer with your diet. Now, in a keynote address of the Ahmadiyya Muslim Research Association. His Holiness Hazrat Mirza uh, Masroor Ahmad, the fifth global caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, may Allah strengthen his hand. Uh, he recited uh, the following verses, 191 to 192 of the Holy Quran. And it says in this uh, particular verse, In the creation of the heavens and the earth, and in the alternation of the night and the day, they are indeed signs for men of understanding. Those who remember Allah while standing, sitting and lying on their sides and ponder over the creations of the heavens and the earth. Our Lord, thou hast not created this in vain. Nay, holy art thou, save us then from the punishment of the fire. So explaining this verse, Hazrat Mizam Masroor Ahmad, may Allah strengthen his hand, said, In many verses of the Holy Quran, including those just recited, Allah the Almighty has mentioned the creation of the heavens and the earth, and he has instructed us to um, reflect upon the true purpose of the um, of our creation, and he continued, and he stayed, stated that, and he's, um, and I quote, he has encouraged us to use our brains and to ponder over his creation, and to search for new roads of human progress and innovation through research and reflection. Indeed, Allah the Almighty has deemed humans as the best of creation because of the fact that we have been granted intelligence and understanding. We have been granted the ability to differentiate between right and wrong. We have been given the ability to think and comprehend. His earliness at another point uh, during the annual convention in Germany in 2013 stated, and I quote, The God of Islam has said that in the same way that he has provided food and drink for the nourishment of man, he has also provided remedies and cures to protect them. He has placed the cures for some illnesses and diseases within certain things of, uh, for our benefit. And there are occasions where God himself brings to light such remedies. On such occasions, God's system of effort and research does not operate. In fact, God himself directly guides in such cases. Let me give you one example. Some time ago, an Ahmadi woman was diagnosed with cancer of the uterus. The doctors said her case was terminal and that there was no cure for her. Indeed, they said, she only had a very short time left to live, and thus should return home and make her final arrangements. Despite the prognosis given by the doctors upon her return home, she was treated in a truly astonishing manner by the god who had given her life and provided for her. One night in a dream she saw a shrub which grew in that part of Pakistan where she had lived. 
In the dream she saw that the shrub appeared before her, and a voice emanated from it, saying, I am your cure, so use me. This was the voice of the shrub. As a result of this dream, she did use the shrub as a treatment, and with the grace of Allah, the cancer was completely cured. The doctors, who had given up all hope, were left astounded. They said it had been a true miracle. That lady, who Allah himself cured, informed one of our Ahmadi doctors about her case. And since then, the Ahmadi doctors and physicians have started to prescribe the shrub for both breast cancer and uterus cancer. By the grace of Allah, the results have been extremely positive, and so many women been saved from these horrific diseases. One of our Amni doctors living in the UK is conducting research on this shrub and the grace of God the results until now are quite promising. These are the means of God the Almighty's nourishment of mankind and the way he protects his creation. Similarly there are countless other things that all mankind is benefiting from whether it is the air we breathe, the water we drink or whether it is light whether it is day or night, all of these things are so many more and indeed have been provided to all of mankind by God. In fact, they have not just been provided to human beings, but to all of God's creation. Now, turning to Islamic dietary laws, as with all matters concerning a Muslim's life, uh, you will find that Islam provides guidance for a pure and healthy life. The Holy Quran says, O ye who believe, Eat of the good things we have provided for you and render thanks to Allah if um, it is he whom you worship. He has made unlawful to you only that which dies of itself and blood and the flesh of swine and and that on which the name of any other than Allah has been invoked. But he who is driven by necessity being neither disobedient nor exceeding the limit, it shall be no sin for him. Surely Allah is most forgiving, merciful, that's taken from the Holy Quran, chapter 2, verses 173 to 174. Now, <clears throat> the first three categories are prohibited because they are harmful to the body, and that which is harmful to the body is harmful to the spirit. The last prohibition relates to something which is directly harmful morally and spiritually, as it amounts to association of others with God. Allah has made the provision that a believer may use uh, prohibited food if absolutely necessary, i.e. if it is a matter of life and death. Now, the term halal means that which is lawful for you. Thus, halal meat is that which has been slaughtered in the name of Allah and has had the blood drained out from it. The term haram means that which is unlawful for you, which includes blood, pork and alcohol. Allah has further commanded that you eat only what is tayyab, that is, food that is good and wholesome. Something may be halal, but it may not be tayyab, and thus should be avoided. Islam teaches that the condition of the body affects the condition of the spirit, and thus great care should be taken to keep one's body healthy and fit. And Islam teaches that all food should be taken in moderation and nothing should be indulged in, in uh, into excess. So there is no good reason for uh, not eating halal meat at all times, unless you are somewhere where it is absolutely unavailable. Halal meat can usually be obtained in Muslim stores. 
However, if it is totally unavailable, then it is permissible to eat meat from regular markets and invoke the name of Allah over it before cooking and eating it. I mean, in this day and age, brother, I tell you, there's so much uh, so choice. Mm. Yeah, there's so many options all over the place for us. So, the, you know, mm. it's, it's not it's not a bad thing if we go without meat for a few days. Well, there's there's fish, you know, there's plenty of seafood, yeah, other protein, plenty of vegetables. Yeah. There's so many uh, other things mm. that are available out there. Yeah, exactly. And I think, if anything, nowadays, you know, eating meat on a regular, it's, it's common practice, it's status quo, uh, which shouldn't really be the case, um, you know, and um, you know we should definitely balance our diet, have our you know, fruit and veg uh, as possible, um, because you know the consumption of meat. You know, yes, it has its benefits, but um, anything in excess, as we've spoken about earlier on, is and could be detrimental to our diet and health. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessing of Allah be upon him, never ate his fill, and he said, "Kill not your hearts with excessive eating and drinking." There is no vessel worse for a person to fill than his stomach. A few mouthfuls should suffice to keep him on his feet. But if he must eat more, then let him fill one-third of his stomach with food, one-third with drink, and leave one-third for easy breathing. And when you begin to eat, pronounce the name of Allah, the Exalted. If you forget in the beginning, say, in the name of Allah, first and last. And do not li- do not drink liquor, for it is the key to every vice. The early prophet, may the peace and blessing of Allah be upon him, always used his right hand for eating, drinking, and putting on his clothes, and the left for purposes other than these. So, what we find from the Islamic teachings, as we have always, is complete and utter discipline, um, and the the levels of uh, balance and moderation, and overall um remaining on you know the sort of the middle path of neither excess and neither um you know complete limitations um on on certain things um and if adhered to you know one can live a very healthy um lifestyle mm. um and this will certainly you know prolong one's and improve one's overall um quality of life good willing yes inshallah um th- that's uh, thank you, Brother Tar, for um, bringing this uh, particular segment to an end. Uh, we hope that you've enjoyed the today's show, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, dear listeners, and we hope that you come back tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow we shall be discussing a few other topics, three topics in fact. Uh, the topics which shall be discussed tomorrow are um, which platforms Brits want to deactivate the most, uh, how inflation impacts everyone differently. And the third topic that shall be discussing tomorrow is how the Commonwealth Games help save lives by promoting organ donation. So today's show was produced by Faiza Chima. The researchers are Faiza Mansour, Ruksana and Wajiha. And our tech support is Mr. Tahir. So thank you to the whole team there. Thank you, of course, to uh, you, the listeners, and of course to my co-host, uh, Brother Muhammad Atar, Imam Muhammad Atar, thank you so much for coming in and uh, uh, making the show enjoyable and uh, easy. Pleasure. Thank you <laughs> Pleasure. so much, Brother Khalid. Thank you. So the breakfast show runs from Monday to Friday from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. Um, there are also other live programs which are run uh, which run during the day. From 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. we have the um, drive time show. 
Um, there are other programs. If you go to our website, voiceofislam.co.uk, you can find all the other uh, programs that are available there. And as ever, if you have any questions, comments or feedback, please do give us a ring on 208 There's always someone there to man the phone and to take your questions, comments or feedback. Uh, if you have any criticisms or any suggestions even, you can also you know tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. If there are any topics that you would like us to discuss or anything else that's, uh, you know, that you're itching to talk about, please do give us a ring. Uh, and we, you know, we'll be more than happy to take your um, suggestions into consideration. So, um, with that, brother Atar, I think it's the end of the show. And uh, God willing, we'll be back here next week, next uh, Monday. You and I presenting, inshallah. Inshallah, God willing. And uh, like I said, tomorrow there'll be another uh, excellent program, uh, breakfast show, which will be broadcast uh, from the studios here in South London at the Beitul Futu Mosque. So, until then. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you, dear listeners, and um, have a great day. of Islam Radio. Yusuf, on whom be peace, mentions God's favors by virtue of his attribute of Al-Latif, the benignant, by recalling how God was his friend, while his brothers conspired against him. According to the lexicon, Latif is a kind of gracious being, one who is benevolent to his creation, as well as one who is aware of all subtle and incomprehensible matters. Al-Latif is one who illuminates hearts, who makes arrangements for physical and spiritual nourishment, and who offers his friendship to his servants during times of tribulation. The promised Messiah on whom be peace said that sight, intellect, and consciousness cannot reach God. It is impossible to try and see Him. He is Al-Latif, he is unseen and illuminates the person he reaches 
to such an extent that the person speaks for him, a divine honor mostly granted upon the prophets of God. God is the knower of all subtleties and is all aware. He is of those who seek him and raises prophets to be their guide to him. His light is manifested through his prophets as they spread the light of unity of God all around them. Among all the prophets of God, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, disseminated this light the most. For it was he who had the most perfect perception of God, and it was he who was completely imbued in the colors of God. In the current age, because of his perfect